When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today I'll be answering letters from readers with dilemmas about friends who are terrible writers, coworkers who use therapy speak, and whether it's a good idea to travel with an ex. Spoiler, it is not, um, unless my guest disagrees with me. To help me answer these questions, I'll be joined by Aisha Harris. She's a culture critic, author, and podcaster. She's co-host for NPR's hit podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour, and the author of her debut book, Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. It's a collection of original essays out June 13th. I asked her for three facts about herself that do not appear in her bio, just so you know a little more about who's giving you advice today. So here they are. Number one, she earned a black belt in Tang Soo Do when she was 12. Two, she spent two summers in high school and college working at a homemade ice cream shop whose acronym boiled down to the unfortunate spelling KKK. They have thankfully (laughs) since changed the name. And three, in college, her dance group participated in a drag show competition and won second place for an elaborately choreographed number to Lil' Kim's How Many Licks. They deserve first place, she says, but it's whatever. Anyway, we'll be back after a short break. The best way to learn a language? Immersion living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I love how easy it is to use. And as a person who can be really self-conscious about making mistakes, I love that I don't have to actually talk to a real human while I'm still working on my vocabulary and my accent. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-based language-driven learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. They're delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com prudy. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash prudy. 
spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash prudy. Rules and restrictions may apply. Adultish is back. And this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like book bans. The book banning side, they have an incredibly well-oiled machine. Filling in food deserts. We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market. And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health. Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships, pressures from family. New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Janae, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm definitely going to need your help with some of these today. So <laughs> let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, our first letter is titled Novel Personality Transplants. I have an issue with my good friend, Jake. Jake and I are both passionate writers doing our best to get our fiction published while working other jobs. We've supported each other, reading each other's work and offering feedback, always gentle, for the last two years. Normally, I love his work and would highly recommend it. Recently, however, he started a new novel that is almost unreadable. I don't mean that it's badly written, so much as it's wildly pretentious, the characters are horrible, and he doesn't seem to mean for them to be, and the single woman in this new work, in a cast of multiple complex male characters, is two-dimensional, and we're introduced to her by a description of her cleavage. I raised that with him right away, sending him a message asking if she was going to be the only female character and why her chest was relevant to the narrative, and he was dismissive of my criticism and said it was written that way because we're supposed to see her from the main character's point of view, and the main character is attracted to her. He sent me an update of the work recently, and it is possibly the worst thing I've ever read. Truly. There is literally a scene in which a crowd of people on a train stop having their own conversation to listen admiringly to the main character talking pretentious crap about the nature of stupidity in the masses to his friends. And we are supposed to believe that this man is so bewilderingly attractive that people stop and gaze at him in the streets. It's worse than stuff I wrote as a full of myself teenager. And Jake is 30. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm genuinely worried about him. His work before this was nuanced, clever, well-structured, and with amazing characterization. This is such a sudden and such a stark contrast that I'm worried it's symptomatic of something he's going through, though there have been no big life changes that I know of, and he seems normal in conversation, until I bring up the new work, however gently, at which point he dismisses even the smallest concerns and seems incapable of hearing criticism, also not like him. I don't know what to say beyond what I've already said, and I'm unsure how to deter him from sending me more of this without being really brutal at this point. Can you advise on what I should say to him and whether or not you think I'm missing something that might be going on with him? The new novel reads like it's written by a totally different author, and I would absolutely not be friends with the author if this was all I knew them by. It's such misogynistic, narrow-minded, pretentious drivel. Okay, I like that the letter writer divided this into two questions. One, what should I say to him about how terrible his work is? And two, am I missing something that's going on with him? So let's put two aside for right now. 
Yeah. Aisha, I kind of want to know what you think about one because you don't write fiction, but you've sent your work out for people to read. Um, you've also, including you. Yes, including <laughs> me. And I think, honestly, I was just like, this is so good. I don't have any edits. Um, we, we've both been editors. We've worked together as editors. So I know that you have given people tough feedback um, mm. and you're a cultural critic. So I think the first question I wanted to raise for you is like, what do you make of this idea that if there's someone in a book who's like misogynistic or a jerk, that that's an endorsement of that. I guess I'm wondering mm. if there's a defense of this guy's work that like he's writing a book about someone who's unlikable and it doesn't mean that he's endorsing or promoting that. Is there right. any space for that? Or I don't know. What was your reaction? So part of what makes this tough for me is that like I've only really had to edit people. I mean, I've we've you and I have sent each other stuff for in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But mostly I've only had when I was an editor, I wasn't editing my friends. So I get like, I get the issue and and sort of the concern here. I think when it comes to this idea of characters who this is the whole like, uh, likable, unlikable, abhorrent, whatever characters, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite shows of all time is it's always sunny in Philadelphia. All the characters on that show or are horrific. They are mm-hmm. misogynistic. They are borderline rapey. They are uh, uh, racist, violent, everything horrible. And yet, what the show has been able to do over the last, like, I think it's going on 16 or 17 seasons now, is is really, like, evolve from beyond just saying, like, these characters are horrible people, but also it's very clear that the people around them also receive them that way, and that there are people calling each other, calling them out for being terrible. Um, they also like seem miserable and unhappy. Like it's very obvious that, you know, the the creators are not endorsing this behavior. Um, whereas when like there's other examples of that kind of thing, Family Guy, for instance, where you can be a little less sure if the creator mm. is actually like uh, very aware of uh, of what they are uh what they are contributing and what they are uh, putting out there into the world when it comes to actual misogynistic and racist characters. Um, So I guess like without knowing more about what this story is about, like maybe the friend Jake is actually like doing something more along the lines of the Always Sunny folks. And and Mm -hmm. maybe that is uh, what his intention is. Although it also sounds like, the character, at least according to the to the the letter writer, thinks that the one female character is very one dimensional. And I think like you kind of have to have a balance of like maybe yes, this is the way she, the character sees her, but can you present her, you know, in a way that like the reader can also see another side of her. Um, so I guess my 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 feeling is that it's very possible that that it could be either way that like this letter writer is correct, and um, this is not this this uh, friend's best work and maybe they are um, missing some nuance here. Um, But it's also possible that maybe the letter writer is just like so incensed with the way these characters are written that maybe they're not seeing that there might be a little bit more. It also sounds like the story is not quite done yet. So who knows? Um, So I don't know. I want to give the letter writer and their friends like a little bit of, you know, grace here. It could be, it could be, multiple ways and it, yeah it could be that he means well and he's just not very talented right like, yeah, yeah that's also very possible <laughs> <laughs> um i just i'm wondering if 
if you're getting upset reading his work and he's not taking the criticism, I wonder if this um, this workshopping relationship needs to continue. And it right. doesn't necessarily just because you're two friends who have always given each other feedback. It doesn't um, it doesn't have to continue to be that way if what you're saying is not helpful to him. And it's not a rewarding process for you. I would be interested in what kind of feedback Jake is giving her on her writing. Like, is he yeah. like, your women characters need more cleavage? <laughs> 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 that would be a giveaway that he's becoming a bad person. Um, yeah, yeah. Reading yeah. this, I did like Google around. Sometimes I just like to get a little perspective. And I found a blog post by a writer, Emma Darwin, called Giving Feedback, How to Make It Really Useful. And she says... Your job is not to win the argument. Once you've tried to explain what you mean, even if they don't seem to take it on board, let alone agree, the ball is now in their court and you must leave them in peace to deal with it. And I think that might be a helpful um, framework for the letter writer to use to think about this, which is just, he's asked for feedback and you've given it. Your job is just to give it. It's not to change the book. Like you're not his editor. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. And if you are friends outside of this like workshopping relationship, perhaps you want to salvage, like maintain that relationship. And like you said, Janae, maybe it is time for that sort of part of your relationship to it's run its course. And now you just need to like focus on being friends and maybe, you know, supporting each other perhaps in different ways. Um, if the book turns out to be what this letter writer considers to be like the final product is just like misogynistic drivel or pretentious drivel, you know, cheer from from afar or like, you know, <laughs> you don't have to necessarily um, support in the same way that you did. And that's just the that's the nature of friendship anyway. Like it's going to evolve. Um, it's not going to always be the same. And I don't know. I guess the the other part of the question, though, is like, they wonder if something might be going on. Yeah. So like, then that makes that part of it also like, okay, so are there any other aspects of this friendship where you think, oh, maybe this person is listening to too much Andrew Tate these days? And like, (laughs) is, 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 is he kind of taking the path that many men, I don't know how old these, uh, uh, people are, but like, it sounds like they're probably in their twenties or thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, is this guy turning into a radical in some ways that you don't want to know? But like, it's hard to tell from the, from the letter because it sounds like this is only so far showing up in his work and mm-hmm. not in the way he interacts with her. So I don't know. I, that seems a little. It seems like jumping to a conclusion a little too soon. I think I, I think the letter writer hates the writing so much that <laughs> that she wants to diagnose him as like an incel yeah. or you know yeah. some far right weirdo. And I think that actually, if she if she's not noticing this in day to day life, if he's not like ranting about how he's a high value man and women need to whatever, <laughs> um, I think uh, I think it's safe to say that he's just doing a kind of writing that you don't like. Or maybe he is just not good at the kind of writing he wants to be doing, which is the most Mm -hmm. generous interpretation. And it's probably fair to feel that you two can still be friends. Um, Maybe have a conversation, like ask him how things are going for him, how he's feeling, how things are going, you know, with the dating life, with work with how he's feeling about his place in the world. I think it's okay to do a little bit of poking, but not a sit down that's like, you had a whole paragraph on her cleavage. I'm just worried about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. no no interventions needed. Yeah, yet. exactly. Like this, <laughs> it just sounds like, you know, this, and, and it, 
also, it just sounds like he's a writer who's maybe trying something new. And if you think about there's there's many times where, you know, creators try to do something very different from what they did before and they don't they don't do it well or they mm -hmm. like overestimate their um and, and I'm not someone who believes that you should ever, like, r just write what you know. I think people should be able to write things that are outside of their comfort zone or outside of their experience. But, like, but you have to, you have to be very delicate and, and intentional and thoughtful about it. And a lot, if not most people who, especially if they are of a certain demographic, <laughs> are not always very good about doing that. And mm -hmm. so this, this also could just be, you know, a dude who is trying something new and is, maybe according to the letter writer epically failing but that doesn't necessarily mean he's like gonna go off and become a proud boy or something <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly so i hope there's like I, maybe i just want to think about some other ways quickly that she could support him as a friend and a fellow writer so i'm thinking have writing dates in coffee shop hold hold each other accountable for like writing a chapter or an essay or whatever it is by a certain deadline take a workshop together i think there's a lot of ways to continue this writing relationship without you having to be like infuriated and frustrated um, by how, how bad he is at it, in your opinion. Yeah. And then, you know, if it ever gets published or, you know, he publishes something similar in the future, I think you can just say congratulations and keep it moving. Like you don't have to like, it, I also would like maybe this sounds like maybe the letter writer also wants to like vent to other people like about it and, you know, find one person to vent it to, but don't don't you know, don't go on a tour about like, how, oh, this is terrible. Like, just let it, let it, let it be, let it lie. Exactly. Okay. So that was a good warm up. The next question might be a little more challenging. Are you up for it? <sighs> I as ever as, as ready as I ever will be. <laughs> this letter is titled Boundaries Blues. How can I deal with a colleague who overuses therapy speak in a professional environment? My coworker Elise has been with the company for about a year and is a recent grad, just a handful of years younger than me, so this isn't a boomer complaint about kids these days. I've started collaborating with her more frequently on joint projects in the last few months and have noticed that she's quick to decide that she won't be doing X, Y, or Z tasks because she's setting a boundary. Let me state clearly that I strongly believe in maintaining a healthy work-life balance, and though I don't use the phrase setting a boundary in this context, I do consciously choose to avoid checking email during non-work hours, refuse to stay late without compensation, and always take my full break. I have no issue with people saying no to things that are detrimental to their mental or physical health or that are outside the scope of their role. However, Elise has been citing her boundaries when it comes to tasks that are literally part of her job. For example... Once I asked her to send a completed project file to her supervisor and she said no, she wasn't able to do that. I must have seemed confused because she said, it's a boundary I've set, without elaborating. At this point, I was so focused on just getting the project out that I did it myself without questioning further. I first thought that perhaps she preferred to not deal with that supervisor specifically due to personal or professional disagreements, but she's used the boundary line in multiple other situations, like when asked to prepare a section of a presentation or proofread another colleague's work. Basically, normal things that are part of our jobs and not an unrealistic expectation for someone in her role. I don't really know how to handle this tendency. In the moment, in the interest of trying to keep the momentum going, I try to steer the conversation towards what she is willing to do and encourage the team to assign her those tasks. But I'm still weirdly bothered by her invocation of boundaries in these moments. 
I think she's trying to apply therapy speak slash self-improvement lexicon to a setting where it doesn't apply. She's overall a good employee who turns in quality work when it's not something she's objected to, so I'm not saying she's lazy and using therapy speak to get out of doing any work whatsoever. It's just weird and feels sort of unfair that she's using this phrase to avoid doing things that are standard for the job. I'd honestly rather she just say she doesn't want to do something rather than using this code word. Is it something to go to our supervisor about or just deal with it? I truly don't want to disrespect her boundaries, but some days it's like if you went to a medical appointment and your doctor said he wouldn't be checking your blood pressure because he set a boundary. <laughs> so, um, Aisha, did you read that the bustle essay um, by Rebecca Fishbane that was called "Is Therapy Speak Making Us Selfish"? Oh, oh, I I saw it shared on Twitter, but I didn't read the whole thing. Yeah, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read you a little bit of it. The subhead is boundaries are important, but our relationships require a touch more compassion than some online blueprints offer. And she writes, when you're on the other side of someone's perhaps overzealous self-care, the experience can range from annoying to frustrating to downright hurtful. And it talks a lot about people sort of pushing off friends by saying things like, I'm in a place where I'm trying to honor my needs and act in alignment with what feels right (laughs) with the scope of my life. And our friendship doesn't fit that framework. Um, I think a lot of people could really relate to it. But my reaction when I read this and when I read that essay about therapy, speak and friendship was, are you upset about the words the person is saying or are you upset about what they're doing? And Mm. I think what might be helpful here is to forget about the language that's being used and look at what your coworker is actually doing when it comes to her job description, right? She's yeah, not she's yeah. not doing the work. It doesn't really matter what she's saying, right? Right. W- interesting. I didn't think about that. <laughs> My first thought was like this this just belongs in the group chat. This is this sounds like an annoying colleague who you can kind of like gripe about to whoever you, you know, vent all your stuff about. I don't think you need to go to the supervisor necessarily. Oh, really? Okay, um, so we actually disagree on this. But go on. I'll let you say your part. Yeah. I mean, so uh, I I get that like these are things that the the colleagues should be doing anyway, but I think before you get to that point, maybe it's better to actually just talk to this colleague mm. and and one of the like one of the ways that I found most effective and a lot of teachers use this, but like Whenever you come across like a conundrum or an issue or like you're faced with someone, whether it's a student or someone you're mentoring or whatever, and they tell you something or even in therapy and they instead of like, you know, challenging you in a sort of like direct way, they ask you questions Mm -hmm. like, what do you mean by that? And I think maybe like Mm -hmm. next time this person says like, this is about my boundaries or uses some sort of therapy speak, you could say like, you know, I notice you, you, you use that a lot. And I'm curious as to like what that means to you or like how you are defining this. And then maybe that could lead to a conversation where you talk about like what the job description is and how, you know, there's like, there are levels to this. Like, sure, if you don't want to do this, you know, uh, outside of your work hours, totally. Like, those are boundaries. Yes. But, you know, this is part of your job. So, like, at least do it at some point. Like, do it when it needs to be done or before it needs to be out in the world or whatever. Um, I think there's, there's, uh, there's a way to maybe sort of approach this, uh, that doesn't necessarily need to get the supervisor involved 
so quickly uh, <laughs> because it, so good yeah. and so compassionate and such a great point. Um, and this is why I've designed my whole life so that I never have to manage another human. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> same. I, <laughs> I feel like these conversations are so difficult. And here's the script yeah. I wrote in my notes. I'm, you're going to die. If your boundaries <laughs> prevent you from fulfilling your job description, we need to have a conversation about whether this is the right role for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so I think that's a that's a great next step if that that conversation doesn't go well, maybe. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like I can't tell. Wait, does she does this person say if they are above? Like, are they? It sounds like they're a colleague who. Yeah, it sounds like they're they're working on joint projects. Um, right. But I guess what Elise does or doesn't do directly affects um, right. the letter writer. So, yeah. yeah, it did first pop into my head like you need to. That's what I think a supervisor should say to this person. That's what I thought (laughs) before you had your great idea to like have a thoughtful conversation with them. Yeah, yeah. But I do think like I think at at to at at a certain point, if Elise is not getting the picture, I can I think that your script is actually nice and spicy, but also just like (laughs) realistic and just like don't don't be don't be annoying coworker because this is this is just an annoying coworker. Yeah. But I mean your questions are really good because it I mean there could be something going on at on Elisa's end that we don't even know about. She could be working 80 hours a week. It could be that um three people on her team were recently laid off and she's been given all their work in addition to her regular job description. And this project she's working on with you is actually like making her work until midnight every night. And she has decided to set some boundaries to stick mm-hmm. to her actual job. So th- it's it's good to think about the fact that there's a lot we don't know. And a boundary could just be like, I'm working the number of hours a week I'm paid for. And yeah. I'm not doing other people's jobs. It could be any number of things. So I think questioning yeah. is, is a great idea. Yeah. And I also, I also think like, but if that's the case, then Elise needs to explain that more. Like, yes. I don't. You can't just throw around boundaries and then, like, I mean, there's going to be people who are like, "Well, it's not like uh, you don't have to disclose your medical." What? I, like, I'm not saying that, but I do think you have to say to some extent, like, even if it's like it, she should at least be able to make up an ex- an excuse. Like, mm-hmm. it maybe it is a medical issue, or maybe there's something going on at home, or like. She she can't work uh, outside of the hours that they're, you know, whatever. Um, but she should at least have some sort of explanation beyond just throwing out these words because it's not you have to sort of there's a give and take to these relationships and there needs to be a little bit of uh, understanding or at least just like contextualizing why Elise uh, is not really doing the the things that she's necessarily supposed to be doing. Yeah, I always feel like you've probably gone down the wrong path if you're like talking a lot about your boundaries and Mm. saying the word boundaries (laughs) and announcing it. Like the way to have a boundary at work would be like, hey, it's Monday morning. This is what's on my plate for the week. Um, This is when I can file everything. I, you know, will let you know when it's ready for you to review. Not, And then like the implication is like, I'm busy. I'm booked up. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not doing anything more at the last minute. So that's to me having a boundary, not just being like, nope, I have a boundary. Nope, I have a boundary. (laughs) Same with friends, you know, like a boundary (laughs) with a friends might be like, if you invite me out at the very last minute all the time as an afterthought, then sorry, like I already have plans, not I have a boundary with you and we're not close anymore, you know? (laughs) Right. <laughs> exactly. I just think people use the word wrong and I I don't blame uh, the letter writer for being annoyed, but yeah, yeah, I would just say try to get to the meat of the issue and like what's actually behind this annoying therapy language. Agree. 
Yes. I think we agreed on this more than you initially. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Mostly because you convinced me of your point of view. (laughs) (laughs) This is Dear Prudence. We have to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Aisha Harris, to answer your letters. Last letter for today. It is called, Can We Go to Croatia? My ex and I were together for three years. We traveled a ton together in that time, both internationally and to U.S. national parks once COVID hit. Outside of our romantic relationship, we were very travel compatible. We enjoyed going at the same pace and wanted to do the same things. We broke up summer 2022, and other than generally bad timing, I was about to take the bar exam and had just moved in. It was a natural end to a relationship that had just run out of steam. Since then, with the help of respected therapists, we have been intentional about creating a friendship with lots of communication and boundaries. For example... We can talk to each other about our dating lives without any hurt feelings or jealousy. Lately, we have talked about how difficult it is to travel while single, as two people for who travel is a major leisure priority. Friends in newer relationships only want to travel with significant others, and friends of different means have different travel goals. It is also difficult to find people you're travel compatible with. Last night, we started throwing around the idea of traveling together again, We both feel that we have a great time and it would not be weird at all. But while I'm fully prepared to talk to any future suitors about being friends with my ex, 
It feels like a whole other can of worms to explain that we are traveling internationally together. I also would have to repeatedly explain to my family and friends the situation. Basically, we would get a lot of side eye. Is it worth it? Is it only possible for us to travel together again in a group? Why don't Why don't you two just get back together? Oh my goodness! Okay, this is where we're gonna disagree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they broke up for no real reason. Natural end. Okay. Apparently, it wasn't a natural end because you still want to see each other and do these big trips, <sighs> and you still get along so well. So, I mean, I'm not saying automatically get back together, but go to Croatia, go to wherever, and just <laughs> don't put a label on it, and and just see what happens. Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that TV and movies have poisoned our collective brain to believe mm. that uh, a men and women can't just be friends mm. uh, and men and women who have been together in the past cannot remain friends afterwards and that there's always a will they or won't they and like a, they're going to get back together, you know, Uh Always happens. I have that was the, like basically the whole concept of something like how to, how I met your mother. Like it's like this. That is what has uh, a lot of people think plays out in real life, and I think it's more complicated than that. I sure there's a possibility that one or both of them is harboring secret feelings for the other still, and is like ooh yeah. But I also mm-hmm. like fully understand this conundrum of wanting like travel and how thorny and tricky it can be because it's true a lot of once you reach a certain age a lot of uh people only want to travel with their significant others or like travel with their significant others and other couples um or you know friends have different ways that some people when they go out they want to just relax by the pool all day and other people like want to go out and go party that's a problem and i can understand there are people who may not romantically anymore like no longer be compatible but like there's these other aspects of their life where they are compatible and they can hang. And I don't know. I just feel like they should go to Croatia. And I don't think that like they're going to. Well, my question is, are you all going to share a room? Because, mm, uh, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you also have to prepare yourself for like there could be temptation. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that they are still interested in each other as dating partners. They could just, you know, maybe they hook up still. I don't know. I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm-hmm. As long as you're being open and intentional. Well, let me and, push like, back as like the unevolved backward person in this conversation. <laughs> okay, imagine you're the future suitor. And this person's going, yeah, we travel together. And, you know, we do share a room. And yeah, we did occasionally hook up. Um, and we're going on another trip. But this time, it's just fine. We're totally just friends. I mean, I just feel like I feel like that, the letter writer's concerns about future, how future partners might see the situation are valid. But I think you, once you start having a relationship with a new person, I don't necessarily think that means that she's going to keep going okay. on international trips with this person. <laughs> like, not- they're both single. I think, I think what she's saying is that, like, the idea of explaining the fact that they're still friends just generally is something that she's prepared to do. Like, she's not going to, like, ditch this guy once she finds someone else. She's going to still be friends with him. But it does, I don't think necessarily that means they're going to take trips together or take trips together without 
each other's significant others. Right. And I, I, I just, the great thing yeah. about trips is that you plan them a few months in advance, right? And you right, plan them generally right. one at a time. So it's not yeah. as if you have to plan five years worth of trips and the trips are just going to happen regardless of who finds a girlfriend or boyfriend. You can evaluate for each trip, hey, is there anyone in your life who would feel uncomfortable with this? Is this a good time for you? Like, do you feel free to do yeah. this? And if you do, you go and then you get back and kind of like start back at baseline and reevaluate. Yeah, I I don't know. I say this as someone who has hung out with my partner's ex before. Um, and, you know, at first I thought it was weird, but then I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm not concerned about them. Like they had their thing and he's they're clearly not interested in each other anymore. So whatever. Um, I, I also think like the concern about like, having explained to your family and friends the situation. No, you don't. Like, yeah, <laughs> I just I understand that people have different dynamics with their friends and family, but I've never been someone I love my family. They're great. I've never been someone who like was overly concerned about how they felt about my dating life or any aspect of my life. I'm just like, you know, here's this person I'm dating and mm-hmm. maybe we'll be in a few months. Um so I've never had that concern, but I think like that's none of their business. Like if you tell them uh, and you have friends who joke about it, you might have to like deal with that and roll with the punches because like people are probably going to, you know, make cracks about it if they don't freak out about it. Um, so just prepared for that. Other than that, I think like go to Croatia, maybe you all hook up, maybe you all really can just have a platonic friendship uh, that involves international waters and, and travel. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think this is healthy and and cool. Like, hopefully the ex isn't harboring secret feelings Mm. or hoping that they get back together. Um, It doesn't sound like it. But, you know, sometimes we can be very oblivious or like want to convince ourselves that like, oh, this person is totally cool that we broke up. It's fine. Um, That doesn't always work out. So just be mindful of that. But I don't know. I'm rooting for them. I want them to go to Croatia. Yeah. (laughs) At least have the ability to have your own room and like your own way home and whatever. If things somehow like emotionally blow up or if there's a misunderstanding, I totally agree that I don't care what the friends and family think at all. Now, again, if one of my friends decided to go abroad with an ex, I would be and not side eyeing, so it wouldn't be negative. I'd be like, so what's, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's and going on? And that's totally on? fair. That's totally yeah. fair. And they might just say like nothing. It's really nothing, and I would have to leave it alone. And I don't think anyone would be harmed by that interaction. And then, and then you're scrolling through Instagram, and you see them on like next to a waterfall, and you're like, you guys look very cozy exactly. together. <laughs> I, I think I think friends and family have every right to make jokes or kind of like to a point and then like let it let it lie. But like just yeah, be prepared for that. Um, those are all the questions we have. Um, as always, I hope we've been at least a little bit helpful. Thank you so much, Aisha, for being here. This is so much fun. Thank you for bringing your like TV and pop culture knowledge to the situation. <laughs> I can't, I can't have a single conversation without at least mentioning one or two TV shows or movies. <laughs> so thank you for indulging me. <laughs> Pre-order your copy of Aisha's debut book, Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me, where she mines the benchmarks of her 90s childhood and beyond to analyze the tropes that are shaping all of us and our ability to shape them right back. Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me is out June 13th, and I have had the chance to read it. It's really, really good. Get that book. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday, and you can join us for the Prudy live chat on Mondays at noon Eastern. 
And if you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we're looking for letter writers who would be comfortable reading their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley Ricks, with a special thanks to Brandon Nix. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond Harris. Until next time. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.